0: I'd open your Bibles to Romans chapter 4, put your phones, I, I, electronic devices on vibrate. I told you, said, if you play fantasy, you, got, you had time to get your starters in already. It's too late now. And I want to apologize in advance, not particularly this sermon this morning, but for the next couple of months, I want to apologize in advance. Football season has started, which means sports illustrations are going to be in different sermons. I'm sorry. That's just, that's it. And I'm sorry, I'm from here, I'm a Redskins, I'm a restkins, so I don't care, I'm sorry. If you don't like the skins, the door is right there, you can go right there. There are plenty of churches on this street that would use your attendance. And y'all know I'm playing, sort of. I have good friends in here who don't, who don't like my team, and that's how that's the gospel. The gospel brings, brings us together. It's fruit of the gospel. I can love a Dallas fan. I love him. My man is one of my, my one of my best friends in the church. Josh is a Dallas fan. I love him, but I hate him on Sunday. But I love him. Or I hate him on two Sundays a year. We ask for forgiveness afterwards, though, right? Grace is amazing. All right, Romans four. Romans 4. We're going to conclude the chapter of Romans today. We're going to look at 8 verses 17 through 25. Last week, if you remember, I set it up as sort of a court motif. So, if this is a courtroom, and, and, and two weeks ago, I set, set it up as a court motif. So, if this is the courtroom, then Abraham, who is essentially the star witness for the defense that Paul is making, this is the last of his argument. This is a conclo- closing argument, so, a conclusion on Abraham's faith as Paul is trying to make the point that the only way a person is acceptable to God is by faith in Jesus Christ, not by anything else. What we're going to do today is look at these eight verses. And because this is a very self-explanatory passage, a lot of the, the complicated work of what he's trying to say with circumcision and the law, we've already done up to this point. So what he's doing now is concluding, this is a conclusion, he's summarizing and concluding his defense that justification, which means to be accepted by God, which means to go to heaven for God to to allow you to come into his eternal kingdom, is by faith. And he's using Abraham, saying that we have the faith of Abraham, and the only way Abraham was accepted by God is that he believed the promises of God. So what we're going to do is look at these verses, and because it's self-explanatory, I want to do something slightly different today. So we're going to, by God's grace, explain what he's saying here, but I also want to show what do we need to know about our faith based on what he's saying about Abraham's faith. There are very specific things. If it's true, if God is true, which I believe he is, and our faith is an imitation of and the same as Abraham's, then God is saying a lot about Abraham's faith, which means he's saying a lot about our faith. So what I want to do is we're going to read this, explain it, and we're going to look at what what should we know about our faith based upon what he says here about Abraham. Romans 4, beginning in verse 17, I'm reading from the CSB version, and I quote. As it is written, I made you the father of many nations. He is our father in God's sight, in whom Abraham believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. Verse 18, he believed, hoping against hope, that he became the father of many nations according to what God had spoken, to what had been spoken, so will your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old. And also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, verse 21. Because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to do. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let's pray. Fathers, we conclude this this portion, this chapter this morning of of your Romans, a book that you inspired Paul to write for a church and a in a bustling city like Rome, explaining to them the significance of their faith. And you knew that you would preserve these words for thousands of years so that people who believe in you in this day and age would also have these words to help them understand what they believe. But we also know that we live in a day and age where we're so separated from when these words were originally written that we can miss so many things. Or we've heard this so often that some of the specificity that you give sometimes we can easily overlook. So I pray this morning that you would use what I believe you've given me from the passage to see and to explain so that we can grow a little more deeper and more confident. I'm not saying anything new today per se, but I hope I'm deepening what's already true in the lives of those in this room who genuinely believe in you. There's no personality or no insight or no wisdom There's no nothing that's so impressive about me or anyone else who preaches in your name. That makes a difference. It's only you, Father, you make the difference. I am incidental. You are the one who will make what I say true to the hearts of your sons and daughters. So use me in spite of me. For your glory and our good in your name, we pray. Amen. All right, so let's look at this. We're going to talk about what he's saying here, and then we're going to see how does this, what does this say about our faith? I think this says a lot to us about the faith that we have as well, and some of this, I believe, will really encourage us. Look at verse 17. This is a a conclusion of Abraham's faith, and he says this. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in God's sight, and whom Abraham believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence, that do not exist. So Abraham is saying this. He says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He's quoting from Genesis 17.5. He's he's telling them, reminding them of the promise that God made to Abraham. And it seems like that's a good thing to do. That's a great thing. He's reminding him of the promise that God said in Genesis 17.5, you'll be the father of many nations. But there's something supernatural about this, this, this verse right here that connects to our faith as well. If you look at verse 17, notice the quote that he's making from Genesis 17, 5. Listen to what he says. I have made you the father of many nations. Now, here's what makes this an incredible statement. When God said that to Abraham, Sarah wasn't even pregnant yet. Now, listen to the language that God has spoken. I have made you the father of many nations. God is talking as if this has already happened. This has already happened. This is already a done deal. But from Abraham's perspective, when Abraham hears this for the first time, Abraham doesn't even have children yet. Abraham is in his 80s, and God is telling him, I have made you the father of many nations. This is an important fact about what it means to have faith. God is speaking in one sense in the past tense about something that hasn't happened yet. If you tell me, if you come up to me and say, Kurt, I gave you $100, I'm going to be like, when? <laughs> I'm going to be like, did you, did, did that A and gave, is it supposed to be an I or an A? If it's an I, then thank you. If it's an A, I don't believe you. Where is it? You're talking the past tense. It's like, okay, this has happened already. God is saying, I made you the father of many nations. And this is something about God. When God speaks, it's going to happen regardless of the circumstances. So, God can say, I've done this already, even though you haven't even seen it. And the fact that Abraham has faith in that, it's credited to him as righteousness. This is significant. And this is how our faith works. How many of us were alive when Jesus was? If you raise your hand, I'd be terrified. None of us were there when Jesus was there. None of us were there to see the crucifixion. None of us were there to see any of the things he said. And that's why many people to this day will disagree that he even existed, or if he did, that he was who he says he was. None of us were there. Yet, we have faith that it's true. None of us, as far as I know in this room, have died and come back from the dead and can say, yes, it's real. I died For 20 minutes, saw heaven, walked around, came back. Nobody has said that. And the people that do are not credible. All the people that have died and come back are not credible. They start ministries that are crazy. But everyone in this room who's a genuine believer believes that when you die, you're going to spend eternity with God based on what he said in this book. And you have no proof of that except what he said. Abraham had no proof that God was going to make good on his promise except what he said. So like Abraham, our faith is very much in the things that we can't see. We can't prove these things to be true. There's something else about this promise. Look at verse 17 again. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in God's sight in whom Abraham believed. God made promises to Abraham about Abraham. God didn't make promises just about himself. He made promises about Abraham to Abraham, things that Abraham can't see. Now connect that to your faith. God has made promises about you and I who believe in Jesus Christ, things that we can't see. How many of you can see justification? Okay, one of the things I love about this game, The Sims, I've never played it, but I I see it on, I love it because whatever's happening, someone has it over their head. And they walk around and it's noticeable. It's right over their head. This is what you're looking for. He's walking around, and that's him. If you got to grab the diamond off of somebody's head, he's right there. Go take it. But that doesn't work like that in the faith. I honestly could not tell. There's no sign that has, there's no big C over your head that says Christian. Right? I can't see that. You don't see that. You don't see that you're a son of God. You don't even feel that most of the time, right? But God has made promises about who you are, who I am, that we have to believe even though we don't see them necessarily in our lives. How many of you see forgiveness? How many of you have ever seen that? None of us. Yet God says, because you believe in Jesus Christ, even when you sin willfully, you are forgiven if you ask for forgiveness. You are forgiven. I've never seen that in my life. I've responded to the faith that I believe that I'm forgiven, but I've never seen forgiveness. Do you see, your faith is very much like Abraham's. Mine is like Abraham's because we have to believe in things, things that God says about us, like he said about Abraham, that we just do not see. I just don't see it. And if we're honest, if we're honest, this is church. You can be honest on Sunday. If we're honest... Many of us often think the opposite about ourselves. Many of us think I'm a hypocrite. I'm this, I'm that. Many of us are aware of where we fall short, and that becomes our, our illustration of who we are becomes what we think God thinks of us. And you have to be reeled back in to believe that, no, God actually does love you. God actually does forgive you. God actually does think you're a son. You're a saint. You're a sheep. You're a child of God. You're a co-heir. You're a priest. You're all of these things. The promises that God made to Abraham were about Abraham. And Abraham had to believe those promises, but he couldn't see them in the moment. But he believed. It says in verse 18, he believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what had been spoken. And now quoting Genesis fifteen five so will your descendants be. I like the phrase hoping against hope. I never thought that was in the Bible. That's like a street phrase. I remember dudes would come by and want something that you know is not going to happen. I remember I had a buddy of mine who was facing, years ago, facing a lot of time in prison, and he thought he was going to get off. And I was like, man, you hoping against hope. There's no way. All evidence points to you. you. It's hoping against hope. I used to think that was a street term. This is a biblical term. He says he's hoping against hope. This is what he means. He's saying he has hope even though the circumstances are against the hope that he has. That's what it means when you hope against hope. When all the circumstances tell you there should be no hope, he still has hope. Abraham is thinking, look, I'm in my 80s. I'm in my 90s. Sarah's 10 years younger than me. I don't see it. For me. But God said it, so I believe it. I believe it. He's hoping against hope. Abraham believes that God can bring dead to life. Part of Abraham's faith is that he believes that God can give life to the dead. Now, in this context, the dead is Abraham's body and his wife's body. This is what he says in verse 17. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. There's deep stuff here. In seed form, listen to what he said. This is deep stuff. Abraham believes that God can give life to the dead and call things that do not exist into existence. Theologically, have you ever heard the term ex nihilo? Okay, that's a term that, it's it's a theological term that means out of nothing. God created the world out of nothing. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. He created the world out of nothing, the universe, everything out of nothing. You see, I've heard I've said this plenty of times. I believe in the Big Bang Theory. God said let there be like bang. That was like he created everything out of nothing. That's a theological term. Listen to what it's saying about about Abraham, that God could call things into existence that don't exist. So in, so he's he's essentially saying that Abraham believes that God can do that. It's the same thing that Hebrews 11 says, Hebrews eleven three says that by faith, we believe that God created the world. So even in seed form, Abraham believes in God to bring life from the dead and can call things that do not exist into existence. So Abraham has faith that God can create something out of nothing. But he also has faith in seed form that God can bring life to the dead. This is resurrection. This is what the resurrection is, that God brings life. To the dead, Jesus died on the cross. When Jesus was alive, he got into conflict with the religious leaders of the day, and there were times that people didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in resurrection. Remember when Lazarus died and Jesus shows up and Mary and Martha, they're all upset. And Martha comes home and he says, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And he said, do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? Why did he ask her that? Why did he ask her that? He said, do you believe on the resurrection and the life? She said, yes, Lord, I believe that. You know why? Because that's a hard concept to grasp, to bring life out of death, to believe that you're going to live after you die. Now, in the heaven eternal sense, yes, people can believe there's life after death. But in the sense of coming back to life, Or creating life from a body that's dead? And dead in the sense of barren. Abraham and Sarah are past the normal stages that a body goes through to be able to produce children. And God is saying, no, you're going to have a child from your body. I'm going to bring life from the deadness of your body. And Abraham believes. This is significant. Because part of our faith is believing that that God gave life to a dead body of Jesus Christ. He comes back from the dead. When we get to Romans 10, Romans 10 says this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See the connection. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he brought life back to the deadness of his body, then you're saved. That's a requirement for righteousness. That's a requirement for faith to believe that God can bring life to the dead. We believe that. Abraham believes that. He believes this. He doesn't know it's about Jesus Christ, his distant descendant, but he believes in seed form that God has the ability to bring back the dead and give life to the dead. Now, in his mind, it's his body. But then later on, we know in Genesis 22, it's more than that. In Genesis 22, after God has been waiting for this little boy to come, name's Isaac. been waiting for him to come. This is the promise that God made to him about the initial, the immediate promise of his wife having a son. Loves this boy. Genesis 22 tells us this. Verses 1 through 12, you don't have to turn down unless you want to. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I tell you about. Now, this is the one that Abraham has been waiting for. And God says, take your son. And offer him as a burnt offering, take your son and kill him. There's no burnt offerings where they get back up and be like, wow, that was hot. Like you die. (laughs) This is death. So Abraham, verse three, got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, listen to this. This is verse five. Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. But God just told him to sacrifice your son as a burnt offering. He told them, we'll be back. We'll be back. You see, Abraham believed in the resurrection that if God tells me to kill my son, then God can bring him back from the dead. Now look at the connection. God kills his son, brings him back from the dead, and we have faith in that. Abraham believes that God, if he kills his son, can bring him back from the dead, so he tells his two, two young guys with him, we'll be back. We'll be back. We'll be back. The components of the faith that Abraham has cover the spectrum of what we believe. Abraham, it was forthcoming. For us, we're looking back. But it's all there. It's all there. Abraham believes in stuff that he cannot see. And God says, he's righteous. You trust me. You trust me and because of that, it's credited as righteousness. You trust me despite the fact that you can't see and have no reason to believe that what I'm saying is true apart from the fact that I said it. That's it. None of us, you ever had, you ever try to share someone about Jesus Christ and they ask you for particular forms of evidence? How many of you have someone say, prove God exists? And you're sitting there grappling like, oh man, okay, oh shoot. Uh, you try to remember little arguments that you read the apologetics book that you remember <laughs> or you text me hey Kurt how do I answer this <laughs> I love it I'm grateful that people think I know everything and they'll text me and be like hey why did Jesus say this it's like uh like I'm just sitting around waiting for hey I got a text alright here we go <laughs> and Jesus said you know, sometimes I'm doing crazy stuff it's like man I can't that's a deep question like I can't answer that I got to look it up myself. You know, there are things that God didn't make everything clear, you know. And people say, prove God exists. So I just say, prove that he doesn't. I'm not going to argue with you. Prove that God, when you prove God doesn't exist, I'll prove that he does. No one's proven that he doesn't exist yet. I'm not even getting into that discussion. Prove God exists, prove he doesn't. I'll answer your question with a question. I asked you first. Ladies go first. I'm a man. That's probably not helpful. That's probably not helpful. Don't do that. that. That's stuff I do. Don't do that. That's not helpful. It might be, but that's just what I do. ladies go first. I'm a man. Prove God is this. I'm giving y'all some game right now. Listen. Abraham's faith, hoping against hope. He has hope against the circumstances that say there should be no hope. So he became the father of many nations. Of many nations. So will your descendants be. So Abraham has faith that God will give him a son and that that son will be a blessing to the world. And because Abraham has faith, he'll be the father of many nations, which means people, when you're a father, you're like this, this, your sons, your children are like you. They're like you. That's kind of the metaphor, like father, like son. Your children are like you in some senses. You're like you. Me and my wife all the time always talk about our children and how they're like each of us. And it's funny. My oldest son is just like me in what he thinks is funny. We'll both laugh at the same stuff. We'll be in the car dying laughing just about the way somebody's neck moved. (laughs) And for us, it's hilarious. I love it. My son, Mateo, my youngest, he's just like me in being funny. He just thinks of crazy stuff to do to make us laugh. And right now, because he's seven, it always has to do with shaking his butt. Always. (laughs) It's always something about butt that he laughs at. Because he's seven. But when I was seven, I was shaking my butt, so I was laughing at stuff that was butt. The word butt is a funny concept. My son Giovanni, Giovanni's like me, and he's just a thrill seeker. We went to California on our sabbatical, and there was a big pool, and there was a, a, a shed. And my friend, who I went to go see, and his kids a little bit older, they climb up this ladder, climb onto the shed, and then jump in the pool. And I was like, "Oh, my boys ain't doing that." I said, like, "They're not doing that." I said, "They can swim, but they, you know, they can swim a little bit, but they're not gonna do that because that's ten, that's ten feet deep." So Giovanni, my man says, "Hey, look, I'll take, I'll take him and jump off." And I said, "All right, if they want to do it, go ahead. I trust you." So Von Von was like, "Yeah, I, I want to do it." So he jumped off with my friend Chris one time, and then after that, he goes, I'm going by myself. <laughs> and Betsy, my wife, was around the corner, because she was like, I can't look at that. And I was like, babe, I'm right here. Like, I'm not gonna let my son drown. It's not like, I know how to swim, you know? And if not, I can float. I mean, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna let my son drown, right? I'm gonna get him, so I'm gonna get him. So she, he jumps off, and I, read, I recorded him like 30, 40 times like it was nothing. <laughs> Boom, into the water, just brave. It's like his dad like that. We're like Abraham. We're like our father in the the, the human sense. And this is from God's perspective. It says in verse 17, he's our father in God's sight, meaning your faith is like his. You're like him because you have faith like him. And even though our faith is in a grander vision because we know that Jesus came, his faith was like, our faith is like his in that we believed God even though we didn't see it. That's why we're like Abraham. In verses 19 through 22, he gives further distinctions of faith. Verse 19, he says this. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old. And also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith. They gave glory to God. Verse 21. Because he was fully convinced that what God had promised he was able to do, therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, we've touched on all of this already up to this point, but he says some things that are very crucial for us about our faith. There's something that he says right here that's critical to our faith because we get challenged on this in this day and age. Listen to what he says. He did not weaken in his faith. When he considered his own body to be already dead, since he was about 100 years old, and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. Look at what he's saying there. He didn't consider, he didn't weaken, even though the circumstances were like, no way. This is what this means about faith. Faith is rational. And it's realistic. See, people think faith in Jesus Christ are just for idiots. And fools, but faith is very rational. Abraham understands that I there's no way this is gonna happen. It's not like Abraham didn't think it was, he knew it wasn't possible from his perspective. This verse is showing that faith is rational and realistic. Abraham didn't ignore the fact that him and Sarah's bodies were too old to have children. His faith wasn't irrational, like, okay. He wondered. How's this going to happen? How's this going to happen? Faith is realistic. Faith does not look around and be like, yeah, it's going to happen regardless. No, faith puts the reality in perspective. He put reality in perspective. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body already dead as well as his wife's. That's reality. In perspective, Abraham is saying, this isn't realistic. This isn't realistic. Faith does not ignore logical impossibilities. It doesn't ignore that. You know what faith does? Faith says, this is impossible, but I believe it because God said it. That's the only reason why I believe it. I don't believe this except for the fact that God said it and I believe God. Faith is not foolish and irrational. It considers the reality of what it needs to have faith in. Abraham, he knew this is too much. There's no way this is going to happen. In fact, in Genesis 18, when Sarah heard God tell him that the baby was going to come from Sarah, it says Sarah laughed and said, So, I mean, she's listening, she's overhearing, and hears God say, And, and, and a seed will come from Sarah's womb. She said, At 85, God's going to give me a baby. And then God said, why did Sarah laugh? And she was like, I ain't laughing. He said, yes, you did. (laughs) I love when people do that. How you going to tell God what God does? You don't tell God. He said, why did you laugh? And she said, I didn't laugh. He said, yes, you did laugh. No, he said, no, you did laugh. I love it. Our faith is rational and it's realistic. Our faith isn't foolish. It just says this is true because God said it. And this is only possible because God said it. And because I believe God, I believe this is possible. It actually takes the wild faith is to not believe in God and think all these things are true or think other things are true. Uh What's the basis of your faith? Let me let's make this clear. Everyone has faith. Agnostics, atheists all have faith. They just have faith in their perspective. There is no such thing as a person that does not have faith or belief. Everyone believes something. Unbelief is a belief that what people believe isn't real. It's a belief. Everyone has faith and believes. The question that you have to ask is, what's the confidence you have in your faith? If it's just your life experience, then you're done. Because there are people across the world who have different experiences. They can say what you experience isn't true because my experience is different. If personal experience is the, is the meaning of faith, then everyone has different experiences. How can you say anybody's right? There's no one who doesn't have faith. They may not have faith in Jesus. They may laugh at your faith and my faith, but they have faith. So the question is, what's the confidence in your faith? I'm an agnostic, okay? So you believe that something exists. Well, how do you believe that? Why do you believe that? What basis do you measure that on? What do you follow? Why do you live the way you lived in based upon a a nebulous perspective? He did not weaken when he considered his own body. Faith is rational, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. Faith is rational. We don't have faith because we just have nothing else to do or because we're idiots. We have faith because we believe this is true only because God said it. And that's what biblical faith is. It's this is impossible. Abraham knows this is impossible. Sarah laughed because she knows what he just said is impossible. But he had faith because God said it. That's what biblical faith is. This is impossible, but I believe it because God said it. How in the world are you and I going to go to heaven when we know and God knows we willfully sin? We willfully sin. You don't accidentally sin. You willfully sin. We willfully sin. Willfully make decisions to go against the grain. And yet God says, I forgive you and you're going to be with me. Do You know, more Christians who are supposed to be ready to die or afraid to die. Because they're wondering, how's God going to see me? What's going to happen? Been on the airplane with people who profess to believe and get some turbulence and all of a sudden they don't know what's going on. I I tried to comfort my wife like, babe, what you mean? We're going to be in heaven with the Lord if the plane goes down. That wasn't helpful. (laughs) Do not comfort your spouse like that or your son. Don't do it. I thought it would be encouraging. It, It was not. And I haven't said that phrase since, except to myself. Faith is logical. It doesn't ignore the the logical impossibilities. It just says, God, I trust you. Now, what's fascinating about this, God says he didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead since it was about 100 years old and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. Then it says in verse 20, he did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in faith and gave glory to God. Now, if you really think about the story, you have to at least ask the question, how Sway? How did he not waver in unbelief when he had sex with Hagar? Why is he saying, why is God, this is God saying, from God's perspective, he didn't weaken in faith. He didn't waver in unbelief at the promise, but was strengthened in faith and gave glory to God. How did he not waver or weaken in faith? when he had sex with Hagar in Genesis 16. Why is God saying that? That doesn't make sense to me, unless you consider the facts. God didn't promise Abraham that he would have a son by Sarah until Genesis 17. God just told him in Genesis 15, a son's going to come from your body. He never told him it would be from Sarah until Genesis 17. Okay? So Abraham, even though he he was willing to have sex with Hagar, you know what? what? He believed, even though I'm 80 years old, that I can still produce children. So even though it wasn't with Sarah, Abraham still believed the promise of God that God was going to give him a son because he was able to have sex with a woman. He was 80 something years old. He didn't. Sarah didn't believe. If you remember Genesis sixteen four, the reason why Hagar is presented to Abraham was because Sarah was like, look, my biological clock is ticking. And nothing's going to happen. Take her and she'll have a child. And since I'm her master, that child, I'll rear that child and grow it up. Sarah didn't believe she put Abraham then come to her and say, hey, I'm not sure if God's going to deliver. We should think of a backup plan. Sarah said. I don't think this is going to happen. So take her. So in a a weird technical sense, Sarah also believed the promise of God that Abraham was going to have a seed. She just didn't believe it was going to come through her. So Abraham didn't waver in faith because he still believed that as old as I am, I'm going to have a child. God didn't tell him it will be Sarah from Sarah's body until Genesis 17. He still believed that God was going to give him an heir. That's incredible. Another reason why I don't think this is even considered unbelief or disobedience in one sense. The law hadn't been given yet. The law hadn't been given. Moses hadn't given the law yet. The law would come way later to do nots and do this. The law hadn't been given yet. So technically, Abraham's not breaking God's law. Mm. Some people that would call me a heretic, let's do it. Let's get it. Abraham still believed the promise of God. The promise wasn't you'll have a son through Sarah till later. As a matter of fact, till 13 years later, is when he confirmed it'll be through Sarah, when Abraham was 99 years old. There's also a further distinction of faith that I think it's important for us to look at. This is what he says. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in faith and gave glory to God. A couple of verses earlier, it says that he had hope against hope. So in this section, he's using faith. In the last section, he uses faith and hope. Now, for many of us, we make those interchangeable. Faith and hope are come to mean the same thing to us. I want to present this morning that that's not biblically true. Faith and hope don't mean the same thing. So some I'm still in the courtroom, exhibit A. Second Thessalonians, we're going to use one verse. One and three says this. We recall in the presence of our God and Father... Your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He uses these different categories. In fact, if you do a concordance, if you look at concordance, you'll see faith and hope and they don't always function in the same. It would appear as if hope and faith have a different function biblically speaking. And when you look at the verses, we use these interchangeably, but I don't think Scripture does. Scripture doesn't. Faith seems to mean to have confidence in or to hold something to be true. I believe this is true. Hope seems to mean having an expectation that something promised is going to be fulfilled. So you wait. So faith focuses on knowing and believing. Hope focuses on waiting and expecting it to be true. So if you look at this verse that I said again, your labor motivated, your, your faith, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. See, faith believes the promises of God, and hope perseveres and expectantly waits. Expectantly waits. When you have hope, you're waiting for something that's promised to be fulfilled, expectantly. You're believing it, It, and it stems from faith. I believe this is true, so now I'm going to act and live as it's true and wait patiently for it, which is what many of us do. Anyone who's here that's a genuine Christian is expecting at some point in our lifetime or some for Jesus to return. We have faith that he said it's true, and so what do we do in the process? We hope expectantly. We have faith that heaven is true, but we live in hope expecting to be there and to see it. You ever just wake up and be like, man, I just, I'm just tired of this world. Not in like some, you know, call the police and there's suicide. I'm talking about just the reality of you're just tired of living in this world. Tired of the rhetoric, tired of fighting sin, tired of sick and tired of being sick and tired, they say. And you just want to be with the Lord. Except when you want to play in turbulence, you just want to be with the Lord. I know I feel that way. I want to be with the Lord. There are moments when it's just like, man, I would rather do that than what I'm doing right now. Yes, I love my kids. I want to see them grow up. Sure, all that stuff. But there are moments where I just want to be with the Lord. That's that hope. So I'm waiting expectantly, the hope. The faith is I believe it's true. The hope is the perseverance and expectancy that it's true. And I think this is, this is biblical. Because you can have faith that something is true, but not hope and wait expectantly for it. You can try to force things to happen. People did it all the time in the scriptures. You have to have hope, persevere and endure that this is true. And this is why this is one of the reasons why I believe God made Abraham wait 24 years. He came to Abraham when he was 75 and he had a kid when he was 99. 24 years. Because faith believes that it's true because God said it. And faith doesn't mean it's true in the instant. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. Remember, if God was an iPhone, that app opens up four years later. Faith believes that it's true because God said it and it perseveres, but it becomes hope. Hope is I'm going to wait expectantly for this. I'm going to do what God says in anticipation of this coming because I have faith that it's true. I think about how do you know if you really trust God? How could you say you really trust God if everything you asked for, he just gave it to you? Even in the natural sense, right? How many of you have ever seen a kid that's just spoiled? We call him a spoiled brat, right? Spoiled rich kid. Just whatever he asked for, daddy gives it to him. And usually the, the trajectory is they grow up, but these become terrible people. They can't take no for an answer. They haven't been denied anything they wanted. That's in the world. In the Bible, guess who that happened to? Solomon. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon saying, I could I had everything my eyes desire and all of it means nothing. He ends that book saying, have faith in God and persevere. That's the only thing that matters. He said, I had everything that I saw that I wanted was mine. God made him so rich. There was no way he couldn't. He would have had an iPhone if they could have made it back (laughs) then. There was, he could have had anything he wanted, but he does all of that. The richest man and he comes to the conclusion that none of that matters. Doesn't matter. How would you know if you really trust God if he just gave you everything you asked for? I wouldn't even be a good parent if I did that. How can you say you really believe something if you eventually stop believing it? Endurance and perseverance is necessary because God doesn't always say yes or doesn't always say it the way we anticipate him doing it. And we may have faith that God's going to do something. But then that hope fades eventually. You ever had faith that God's just going to save your friend or your, your relative and you've just been praying and praying and praying and years go by. And people just stop praying. You just stop praying. But Jesus puts in passages like Luke 18, the parable of the persistent widow. He gives us the narrative of the thief on the cross that even moments before someone's just, just dying. And receiving the penalty for their sins that God is willing to forgive even in those moments. So we take stories like that and maybe stories that we've heard of people who have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for relatives, loved ones, and they eventually become saved. If he really gave us everything we wanted, there would be no need for hope. You can have faith for something and not have hope that it's going to happen. That hope fades and then that faith will be gone. I purposely tell my kids about something they want to do on purpose way ahead of time. And they'll start asking, Papi, when are we going to Papi? I'm like, son, you got to be patient. When are we going to Six Flags? You got to be patient. Got to be patient. I do it on purpose because I want them to understand that waiting on the Lord takes that. Waiting on the Lord is hopeful expectation. It's hoping. It's expecting. This is why the Bible sometimes oftentimes will have faith and hope in the same sentence and different words in the Greek. They're not the same word. They're not the same thing. They're very close, but they're not the same thing. Faith knows and believes hopes, waits expectantly. Biblical faith believes God. Biblical hope lives out that faith and expectation. And endures when circumstances scream ignore. This is why our faith is like Abraham's, just like Abraham's. Abraham, faith that God would give him a son. We have faith that God gave him son, gave his son. Abraham had faith that God could bring life out of the dead. We have faith that Jesus came back from the dead. Abraham believed only that it was possible because God said it. It's only possible because God said it. How can God be fully man and fully God? That's inc- what? What? How can he be fully man and fully God? How can God die on the cross? How could God, who created everything, allow himself to be contained in a human body? Born as a baby. It's not like Jesus came down at 35. He was like, hey, I'm here. Be in the temple. Right? He comes as a baby. This is a God who created everything. If if the Bible is right, if Hebrews 1 is right, if Colossians 1, 15 through 20 is right, if John 1 is right, then this little baby, this, in that little baby is the God who created everything and who's holding everything together, keeping alive everything, sustaining everything. So the men who are crucifying him on the cross, he's keeping them alive while they do it. He's keeping them alive. If he wanted them to die, it would be done in a second. The men who are crucifying Jesus, who are mocking him, who are putting on a crown of thorns, who are hitting on him, saying prophesy who hit you, who are spitting on him. The men who who placed him around a rock and who and who ripped his back open. Thirty nine lashes with a whip. The men who mocked him as he as they pushed him and laughed as he carried a, a wooden cross, 100 pounds up a hill to be crucified on. it. He's keeping those men alive so that they can do that very thing. that God, that's impossible. And we have faith that all of that is true. We have faith that all of it's true and we didn't see any of it. We didn't see any of it. That's why our faith is like Abraham. Because biblical faith believes the impossible, not because we're foolish, but because we believe God. Going to heaven as a, as a person who willfully sins is impossible to me when you think about who God is and God's holiness. It's impossible to me. Among other things about the Gospels and God, it's impossible to me. It's only true because God said it. I believe it because God said it. I believe it. Even the, the church. If you look at the world today, it doesn't look like Jesus won the victory. I'm just being honest. Let's just be honest. We said it was Sunday in this church. You can't look at the world and say, yep, you could tell Jesus is in control of everything. You can't even look at the church and say that. And say, wow, these people really are glorifying God and different. The appearance says, man, y'all lost. You're on the wrong side of history. The jig is up. Faith says, God said it. I believe it. And I'm going to wait for it. I'm going to be tempted to waver. I'm going to be tempted to walk away. I'm not going to get things I want, but I'm going to wait for it. I'm expecting this to happen. When I die, I'm expecting to see the Lord. And I'm expecting him to welcome me in because of Jesus Christ. And I'm expecting to see people that I knew here in this life that have gone to be with the Lord. I'm expecting to see people. And laugh and be like, we did it. God did it. Look at this place. Can I fly? I'm expecting all of that. Our faith is like Abraham's in the identical ways that he had faith. 23 through 25. Now it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who was raised, Jesus our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You ever notice? that everything about our faith is up. You ever notice that? Listen to to what this verse says. Verse 24, but also for us, it will be credited to him who raised Jesus up from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses on the cross and was raised for our justification. Everything is always up. Jesus went up on the cross. He rose up from the dead. He ascended up into heaven and we're going up to be with him. know what that means? Take your faith off of yourself and put it up. Your faith was never meant to be on you and what you do. It's always supposed to be up. It's up. Jesus said in John 12, he said, the enemy of this world has been cast out, and I will draw all men unto me. And then John said he was referring to when they put him up on the cross. Jesus said, when I am lifted, up. Our faith, everything about our faith is up. It's up. It's up. It's up. Our hope is this way. We live this way. We obey, we live, we expect, we wait. But our faith in what we believe, it's up. It's up. Our faith was never meant to be in what we're capable of. It was meant to be in what he accomplished. This is how our faith is like Abraham. This is why he said, look, that righteousness that we, what I've been talking about, it's not just for Abraham. It's for all of us who believe. Abraham is the reason why genuine Christianity must be based on faith. Must be. All the components are there. The son, sanctification, sacrifice. He was ready to kill his own son. Resurrection. It was all there, despite the fact that he did some questionable things. God said, you're still righteous. I'm going to make a covenant with you after that. You and I do some questionable things as believers. You know what that means? Our hope, our expectant waiting, we need to adjust. It doesn't mean you don't have faith. though. It's important. It's important for us that we continue to press in. That We continue to press in. Walls are closing in. Slowly but surely. We continue to press in to the Lord. And we don't do it as individuals. We do it as a community, as a church. With an expectation that one day we'll be with the full body of Christ in eternity. There's no time for playing and no time for thinking, ah, oh, man, this is whatever. The time is now, and it will always be now. And Rocky 3, he was training with a guy named Apollo. Rocky had gotten beat up by Club Elaine, who was Mr. T, punished him. And Rocky was running down the beach. And then he started, he started remembering getting hit. And then he started to slow down, and he was running by Apollo. And Apollo stops and comes back to him. And Rocky's down. And he says, come on, man, let's go. He's training him to fight him again. And Rocky's, I'm afraid. So he says, to Apollo, no, nah, man, I'm good. He says, you, let's come on. He says, "Nah, nah, we'll do it tomorrow. And he says, there is no tomorrow. He said, There is no tomorrow, Rock. There is no tomorrow. And he yelled it, There is no tomorrow. That's a biblical statement. Church, there is no tomorrow. There's only today. Only today. Press in today, just today. Jesus said, Tomorrow will worry about itself. Your faith is supposed to be up. It imitates Abraham, and it's not foolish, irrational, or idiotic. You believe stuff that's impossible only because God said it. That's why we're like Abraham. And the people who continue in that way, those are the people who will never regret it. For Jesus said, no one, no one who calls on the name of the Lord will be ashamed be ashamed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this brief narrative on Abraham's life. We've heard over the course of the last three messages the trajectory of this argument, the reality that that Abraham is a model for us. And I pray that we're able to see even a little clearer today that how in tune we are with Abraham's faith. Why you're saying that our faith is like Abraham's. We definitely do believe things that are seemingly impossible, but we only believe them because you said it. And so we hope, we expectantly wait. And we fight because of that. That faith of knowing and believing what you said is true Produces hope. That perseveres. It's expecting. This to come to full force. Abraham believed you. Even with Hagar, he believed that what you said about him was possible. Father, I pray for those of us in the room this morning that are genuine in our faith. May struggle sometimes with waiting expectantly. are frustrated feel hypocritical or contemplating giving up i pray father that you would you would stir their spirits and their souls to to know that that persevering in you is not foolish and that we don't you don't give us what we want all the time because you help us see that we actually believe in you and that we're still waiting expectantly despite not getting what we want from you or at least in the speed and in the, in the terms in which we want these things. Even though we don't like it, you're proving to us that the faith that you've given us is genuine enough that despite the fact that you allow things to happen in our lives that make us question your wisdom and love for us, that we still remain. Not because we have nowhere else to go. The world has wide doors. We stay because we believe that you're true, even though our circumstances don't see it. Because we, like Abraham, hope against hope. This morning will be no different. Today is no different. May we glorify you in our faith and our hope, like Abraham. Believing the impossible, that it is possible. Only because you said it. And may we do this to the end. In your name we pray. Amen.